0: Welcome to the CENTCAST. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B-Squared and the host of the CENTCAST, the special needs podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special educational needs to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in or out of schools and to empower parents. In this episode, we're talking about being hijacked by our emotions. Now I'm discussing this with one of my regular guests, Ali Knowles. Ali is an emotional therapist and founder of The Oli Model. She supports emotional resilience in children and young people. The card is creatively produced by us here at B Squared. We are here to help show the small sets of progress pupils with SEMD make. We help schools to show progress for a wide range of abilities and ages. And if you're struggling with the APDR cycle, it's probably because you haven't got the assessment part bit right and you're playing the rest bit not working. So if you are, we can help. And you can visit the Beastware website or click on the meeting link in the show notes to book a meeting with me, and I will take you through our assessment software and how it can help you. Now, let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing being hijacked by your emotions. Joining me today is one of my more regular guests, Ali Knowles. Ali is the creator of the Ollie model, the author of the series Ollie and His Superpowers books, trainer of Ollie coaches, everything else Ollie-ish, and she's also an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Ali. Good
1: morning, Dale. How are you?
0: I am good. I know I do lots of emotion-based decision making. Chocolate is probably part of that. But I also avoid difficult conversations as I don't want to make other people feel bad. Even though the conversation needs to happen, I will avoid it. And that's quite common, isn't it? It is.
1: And then again, it isn't. It can actually be said to be quite an individual thing on one level and also a tribal thing on another. So there could be a reason that you got told off when you were little for saying what you think because it's not British, is it? We frighten the horses. We don't do that. Or it could just be that somebody did that to you and it hurt you. So it makes you think twice and not necessarily do what you would naturally do, which isn't a bad thing So we don't really want to upset people. That makes sense.
0: That makes sense.
1: The thing is, we are, when we're born, so when, when, when Dale was a little bubby, he just popped out. <laughs> I don't think he had a beard then. he might have done. I don't know. I can't imagine you without one. You, you didn't have any sense of the world. All you really need to do was to breathe, to remove food from your body, clean that one up, and to smile and be cute so that somebody will love you and look after you and tell you you're old enough to do it yourself and then you kick off as a teenager and upset everybody. But you don't have any fears, phobias. You don't have any beliefs about how the world works. You learn them from what I call your reality, which is mum and dad's world or whoever's bringing you up. And if... Mum and dad installed in you that you you don't frighten horses, then you won't, point one. Point two, they might not have installed that in you and said, no, you should say what you feel, son. But if somebody did that to you and it really, really hurt, you might then make an emotional connection that I'm not going to be that person, I'm not going to do it, and it will block you doing it. Everything we do is emotionally driven. You're born with nothing. You learn as you go. But you're not stuck with it. That was a book written by others for you.
0: That makes sense. It is. it is. Your world is always shaped by all your experiences. And until you're about 11, it's very much family-driven and school. Yeah. It is. Most of your time is spent with your family. So it is going to be very much family-driven. And I think as you get to secondary school, you do spend less time with your family, and you start to make your own decisions. And I suppose at that point you start actually realizing that, not everything is quite the way it seems. And I suppose it just goes from there.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, when we start to hit teens, puberty, and a hellish time, but you, obviously you've got two parts of your brain battling as well. You've got your child brain that wants someone to look after you and take care of you, and you've got the, no, I'm kicking out against the world and everything you say is wrong brain, where you take risks and go off on one. So, yeah, around that age, that's beginning to happen. But it is all about life experiences, but more importantly, the thing that makes us different if that was true without question we'd all be the same wouldn't we but what makes it different is the emotion you attach to a situation or a behavior and any new learning the emotion you attach to it tends to stay with you and get locked in Ollie's world into what I call your library or your subconscious and that starts to build and define who you are and write your story of how the world works and who you are in it but as I said it's only real while you allow it to be
0: yeah and most of us do allow it to be, don't we?
1: Well, we don't know. We can't. We. When you think about it, when you're little, you look up to those around you that are older. And as you said, when you get to a certain age, you might start to question that. And I, I certainly did. My, my dad, <laughs> no longer with us, loved him to bits, had him on a pedestal. He was racist, homophobic, and had some very strong opinions. He didn't make me racist and homophobic, thank Lord, but I could see that people around him were like him. Now, were they naturally like him and he learned from them? Or in order to stay in his team, did they do that? Did they decide that's what they needed to do to fit in? I'm not sure. I remember when we moved to where we live now, in a little village, and we were probably, cliches, It's the first gays in the village. God, did we know it. We went through about three months of hell from teenagers. But the thing is, it wasn't the teenagers because those teenagers actually don't have many strong opinions. Well, they have loads, but if you don't like them, they've got others. It's their parents and their parents' fears and phobias. So we are, when we're younger, very, very submissible, if that's a word, to what's going on around us and those influences that we have on pedestals until we start to realise that they might be older than us because they're our parents. doesn't necessarily make them wiser. And that's, that's quite a scary one as well, when you suddenly realise that your protector and the person that you've always looked up to might not actually have it right. That's scary. That makes you feel a little bit insecure.
0: Definitely. I, I remember it was always respect your elders, your elders know best. That was what I was always taught. Yep. And then I got my first job. And for the first year, it still worked. And then after a while, I started noticing that just because I'm working with these people who are older doesn't mean they're making the right decisions or doing the right things. Now, there are various reasons everyone ends up the way they are. As you said, everyone has their own journey, own experiences, own things like that. And some of it was points of view. So some of it was racism. Some of it was work ethic. Some of it was just, there's just lots of things. So I'm literally going, hang on. Hang on, I've been told you're supposed to teach me about the world and what I'm learning from you is what not to do. That's not what I'm expecting here. And, yeah, the the whole thing of respect your elders, I just, uh, from that moment, I dropped.
1: The thing is we we create a set, set of rules that help us navigate the world and make it okay for us as individuals. And it helps us fit into groups and teams we need to belong. Finding your tribe is massive. If you start to question that, then you're questioning their whole existence. So the moment that you start to say to dad, actually, I I don't think it's okay to judge someone from their color or their religion. I think you should get to know them. or hell breaks loose. And not because he might not agree with what you said, because it's actually sensible. It's not a bad thing to say. Because you're questioning something that makes his reality, his real world solid, and we need it to be solid. Remember, on a previous podcast, we said about brain doesn't like gaps. The moment that you start to question someone's reality, you make that reality not solid, not strong, not safe. Nobody likes that. That's why we will completely ignore someone else's opinion if it interferes with the reality and the security of that reality. It's almost like the cement that holds your story together. Yeah. So, we start to bang heads with that, but but actually grow you're going to because you will look at things differently, and yes, we're our parents' child, or we're adopted or whatever the scenario is, but we are unique and individual, and the whole idea is that we do look
0: at things differently, and we do question, my lord, if we didn't, we'd still be in caves is is there a point where we stop questioning because I, I come across people who not saying they are, but they are con they are still learning about the world, yeah. They come along, you can't say that. Why not? Because that that's a good point. I'll stop saying that. And they change. And there are other people who have obviously developed some rules in the 70s and have been stuck ever since.
1: Again, you know, it's such an individual thing. I mean, there are things that I believe to be true forever, but if they're put to me in a way that isn't yelling at me, telling me, but inviting me to consider, then my mind is open to consider. But not everybody is. And for the same reason, we find it as an attack. An attack on something that we've built that we believe to be true. And with regard to accepting other people and not getting wound up by it, two things. One, as I said, you've either opened your mind and gone, that's a possibility. not sure I completely agree, but I accept you think that way. But then you've got the other ones that work out quite quickly that the only thing in this world you can change is you. Yes. You can't make anyone else think or feel anything they don't want to, and no amount of talking at someone is going to change them if they don't want to. So you can carry on banging at a closed door or you can accept it's not going to open and walk away. Yes.
0: That's the thing is you do meet people who have a really strong opinion and you can have a really big, long conversation and you're not going to give them a U-turn. They're not going to change their whole life around, but you just see that at the end of it going, hang on, hang on. What I thought was really, really solid in my mind, you've now just turned into a liquid. Something else that actually might not be a solid, and you see, and you have it. No, I'm not saying I've changed their mind or anything, but you literally they are going, okay. Then there are other people who just don't listen. They are just, their beliefs, their rules give them their strength. So if they don't have that, what do they have?
1: Their rules stop them being frightened. It's this is how the world works. I understand it. Provided I follow these rules, then I know how to deal with the world, even if it's not great. But if somebody questions it or changes it, it it does, it weakens it. And you've got one or two choices then. You can either be, that's fascinating because you want to learn and your mind's open and you're not threatened by it. This is about emotion. The biggest thing there that comes out of this conversation is being threatened. And by being threatened, it's not a physical thing. It's an emotional thing. Hang on a minute. You're telling me everything I believed and everything that I think is might not be. I'm not telling you anything. I'm inviting you to consider it. But even that, changes the boundaries or weakens them a little bit and changes your story. And that's scary. Or it can be fantastic because you can start looking at the world slightly differently and it's like someone's punched a hole in your tunnel and you can got more light coming in, more fresh air. So it's really up to the individual, but it'll be a fear thing that stops them doing that.
0: So we did that whole podcast around tunnels and all that, and like you build this tunnel. And one of the things I, I, I would never class myself as sexist or things like that But you kind of look through a certain viewpoint, don't you? You always put yourself, I'm not like that. I'm better than that. And then I had my two daughters. And then I just became, I would say, much more aware of sexism and things like that. Because I I don't want my daughters to be damsels. I want them to go have their life and find a bloke because they want to, not because they need to. Or not find a bloke, find someone else. Whatever it is, I want them to be confident and in them. And and I sit there and I watch various things about how, how men are and things like that. And I've actually looked back at my life and gone, yeah, I was sexist, but back then it was considered harmless. It was considered what you do. It was considered normal. But actually, and I'm not I'm not based just because I'm not wasn't horrible. It was it was and, I, and that's the thing I sit there and I go, but I don't know if I was. get the whole thing of what was I? So I'm now very 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 aware of what I do and should I or should I not be am I being sexist or not?
1: But that's you not frightening the horses again. I mean I mean this is this is a, a subject in itself, isn't it? It is. Is it okay to be sexist? Is it okay to be homophobic? Bottom line, no it's not, because nobody deserves to be bullied or treated differently. Bottom line, that's that's my starting point. But I think the whole thing's gone a little bit stupid because you're always gonna have idiots That are looking to rile you or don't want their story busted or threatened by something different. And it comes back to one of my core beliefs. In this world right now, there's homophobes, there's racists, there's all sorts, and there's some lovely people too, right? Yes. The thing is, they can only harm me emotionally if I allow them to. If I allow what they're thinking and saying into my head or my heart, it's going to hurt me. So, no, there's absolutely no way they should be doing it. But the bottom line is, They can't hurt me unless I let it in. And the only reason I'd let it in is if there was a part of me that believed it or was threatened by it. So that's a big subject. But as I've grown older, I'm like, you know, you're entitled to think what you want. I'm not going to let that take up any space in my world.
0: Later. And that is so easy to say and so hard to put into practice. But it is. It's what it is. And it isn't. It depends. What I'd probably guess on is, there are things you probably know yourself that you, that you think that is a load of rubbish. So I can completely dismiss what you're saying, dismiss what you're saying. Cause you are an idiot. Wow. But then there are things that if someone you don't know says something, you're going, well, you're just an idiot. But if your friend says the exact same thing, you'd now be going, well, actually I had a lot of values. I try on. Oh, I had I, I trust and faith in you and belief in you. And now you've said that. And well, you're not hurt really about what they've said. Cause you know, that's wrong. I suppose you get hurt by I thought we had a relationship I thought it's that's probably what hurts in those situations.
1: And and that happens and again it still happens with me. Close friends, neighbors, quite quite old in my village and they're brilliant with us. They're completely accepted because we're not like all the other gay couples. But every now and again they'll say something and I'll think ouch you don't get it. Now at that point I could frame a dummy out or I could just accept that that's their model of the world that makes them feel safe. Now I can try and tear that down in my defence, or I can just accept it. Is that me being submissive? No, because it was really hurtful. I would say, actually, don't that's not right, mate, please don't say that again. And I would say it. But again, the only thing that will drive anyone to say or do anything is emotions. You know we do lots of work in schools. We get we get given a list of what's going on with a kid from a Senko or a teacher or a parent and teens. And It's all behavioural based because that's what they're seeing. And a lot of therapy just deals with that behaviour. So Tommy's throwing things across the room. Stop Tommy doing that by doing this, 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 whatever. But the bottom line is that the only reason we do anything or think anything is because of the emotion we attach to whatever that situation or thing is. And the problem comes when you don't realise that, as you quite rightly said, up till about 11, we're just like sucking in anything we're told. And at that point, everything we learn, we've attached an emotion to, and it goes in the library, and we're stuck with it. But the reality is you're not, because the decisions you make about any situation or anything at 11, you probably wouldn't make now, or hopefully you wouldn't, because you're a bit older and wiser, you've got more skills and capabilities. So you can change that. But an awful lot of people don't, for whatever reason. And I would say it's, well, I know this, and it works for me, even if it's uncomfortable. I'm staying put with my feelings and beliefs. Or if I suddenly am not homophobic or racist, I'm going to lose half my mates down the pub. Oh, no. Tribe.
0: Yep. I suppose when you're 11, you don't really you don't experience 54 different families up to the age of 11 and go, actually, I think this type of family is the best one for me is you're born into a family. That is your family. You think that is normal and the best. And that's the way it is. And as soon as that changes, for whatever reason, or even there's a threatened change, you have no experience of what anything else is. So you want to keep it the same. So if your parents are splitting up, then that's going to change your whole world and you don't know what anything else is because you have have no experience of it. But what you've learned all through your life is two parents together is the best thing. It's what I always see on TV and that's going to give you that safety. But, and then your emotions will come in, but you don't know what the other is.
1: And our brain really doesn't like not knowing. And when it doesn't know, it gets fearful. It gets anxious. It wants us to run away from the situation or fight it off. And That, again, becomes logged in your subconscious as a way to deal with situations. But it's only, again, as you get older, with reflection, you can look at it. So you can look at it and go, yeah, my parents split up when I was young. It wasn't great. Everybody else had mums and dad at the football match or whatever. But you can look at it differently when you're older. You can look it through older, wiser eyes. At any given point, you can only make a decision on going left or right or how you feel or react to something based on the skills and capabilities you've got at that time and it's such a key point with therapy I I remember a lovely lady came to see me and she'd been abused when she was really really young and she tried all sorts of behavioral therapy to help her get over her issue which was anger understandable except you should never assume but when I got talking to her because I purely work on the emotion not the behavior that's Behaviour is to sneeze. You want to get to what the bug is, yeah? Her anger was at herself, not at this guy that abused her. And the reason it was, was because she was looking at the situation through her eyes now, a 30 year old. And she was angry with three, four year old self that three, four year old self didn't call the police, call Childline, do this, that, and the other. Well, three, four year old self couldn't. It could only react to what was going on at the time. So we are really limited on the decisions we make by our skills and capabilities. Don't look back in anger. You have every right to look back in anger. We have all these emotions for a reason. So if you're angry, be bloody angry. But the way that I look at it, it's about, like, you know, you've got a child that's addicted to the Xbox or PlayStation, so you give them so many hours on it. That's it. I do that with my emotions. I don't say, no, 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 it's not politically correct to be angry and it's not good to be sad because nobody likes that and it's uncomfortable for everybody else. I completely honour them and say, Okay, you got three hours from now. Or if it's grief, you've got 12 months from now. I give it a time and I allow it to exist because we need all of our emotions. But we need to recognize that whatever emotion is in control at any given time will steer and direct how we view the world and how we react to it. People say, oh, God, I hate it when he's angry. Angry is a bad thing. Angry in itself is not a bad thing. Angry is just doing what angry does. He doesn't know how to do anything else. That's why we, in in our world, we make emotion something tangible that kids can get hold of because we're always saying, you need more self-this, more resilience, more empathy. What the hell is that? Where does it live in your body? So we make them like a little team, a part of you. And every single one of them has a role, but you're the captain. And the key is recognising when an emotion has decided it's in charge and recognising it has the right to an opinion and a voice and to feel what it's feeling. But ultimately, it's not in charge. It's just one of your players, one of your team. Yeah. So hear it, help it, move on, get them back into balance.
0: And anger can lead to determination.
1: It can lead to all sorts. It can lead to destruction. It depends how you manage it. And the number of times I get sent a child who's got anger issues, and I'm thinking... I don't even know what that means. That's your perception of what's going on right now. But it never is. And and certainly in younger children, they're not angry. It's frustration, but they probably don't know that word either. They've got all these other feelings and emotions or thoughts or beliefs inside. They don't know how to verbalize. So they just explode. And that's when you see anger or meltdowns. So anger itself is a behavior and an emotion, but it's usually the emotion the emotion that comes out when they don't know how to voice what else is going on. And most angry people are angry because they're frustrated at something else. So then you need to be talking to frustration, not anger. And frustration might be frustrated because he doesn't know how to stop feeling lonely. So then you need to talk to lonely, not frustration. And lonely might be feeling lonely because mum and dad are split up and it's all my fault, so then you need to talk to... And and we've seriously, uh, we've got kids as young as six recognising that when Mr. Angry is coming out, it's because all the other feelings have pushed him out and they need to talk to the other feelings and find out what's really going on because the one that's really upset is at the bottom somewhere.
0: They're all hiding behind anger.
1: They are. And kids are doing that. We don't. We just, I'm angry, that's it, and we stick with it, which you're entitled to. But whoever's steering your ship will steer your ship. And if sad's sad, he ain't going to steer you anywhere happy. If depressed is depressed, he's not going to steer you anywhere happy. No. Nope. If angry's angry. But if
0: happy's really, really happy all the time, I I, I remember a time where I, I was feeling anger, but I didn't realise I was angry until I started talking to a friend, and I was literally going, "I'm really quite angry here," and I didn't even know why. It was just coming out. And I'm going, "Why am I angry? We we're supposed to have a lovely day with the family." And me and him are talking, and I'm going, "I want to go back to the family," but yet I end up staying there and just talking lots and feeling really angry. And as we went on, it basically, what it came down to is I wasn't feeling valued. But the anger was there first. It wasn't, I wasn't, we were talking, but I could feel it inside me. My heart was going and I was angry. I'm going, why am I angry? It's a Saturday afternoon. We're looking at his car. We're doing nice things, but I was angry. And then it just, as we went on, I was literally going, why, why am I angry? What is it? And we explored it and it was, I wasn't feeling valued.
1: But then you've got another thing playing there, haven't you? Because a child not feeling valued wouldn't go, oh, my God, I can't say that it's not politically correct and it might weaken me as a man somehow. A child won't do that. They just haven't drilled down behind anger to find out who really is a problem child. But back to what you were saying earlier, is it okay for a man to say I'm not feeling valued? Is that going to upset the horses or affect your you know, your image in some way? So there'll be that going on as well. But, again, that's a learned thing. That is it okay for a man to say I'm not valued? Is it okay for a man to cry? No, 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 we weren't brought up like that.
0: Remember the song, Big Boys Don't Cry, whatever it was? It was in Dirty Dancing, wasn't it?
1: Do you know, they really do. And one of the proudest things for me is when I have lads come to my therapy room and big lads tattoos the work, and, and they do cry. And what they say is, it's safe to hear. Can't cry in front of me, mates, they'll judge me. Can't cry in front of my girlfriend, I'm supposed to protect her or wife. But I can in front of you, it's safe. Blokes wouldn't be able to cry if they weren't supposed to. One of the things I dream of is a world where we don't hear, don't cry lad, boys don't cry. Yes, they do cry. And they should do it more often. Because it has a purpose. It lets stuff out. It lets somebody know you're hurting, you're scared. Or you're crying with love, or laughter, or something's really touched you. It's all part of us. We need to allow every emotion to exist, but recognise when it's outstaying its time.
0: That's, uh, that's that. That bit there is interesting because we all, you all, you all literally lose your mojo. You get stuck in a rut. You just the world is meh, and you're just kind of living each day again and again, and anything just annoys you, and you're going. I, li- I in reality, I could be living the same life I did last year, identical. But Last year, I'm happy, but this year, I'm not. And it is. It is purely the emotions. But you've got to get rid of them. How do you get rid of them? How do you? You know, you haven't. I think,
1: I think there's, there's this thing again, and it's not frightening the horses. Thou shalt not be sad around other people. Thou shalt not discuss if you're feeling depressed because it will bring other people down. It's all about protecting other people. I think absolutely. Whatever you're feeling, honour it. Seriously, whenever I'm, I wake up in the morning, and there's no reason this morning why I should feel any different from yesterday. And today I was a little bit flat. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But I've learnt now, and I literally, as tough as this sounds, I imagine pulling a little thing out of me, flat, my little superpower I call flat, because all emotions are superpowers. I'm like, okay, mate, what's wrong? We were okay yesterday. And the weirdest thing happens. It just says, well, yeah, we've got to do this, but this, this. And I was like, oh, wow, yeah, okay. Well, what can we do about that? And again, we're teaching kids to do this so that they're not bottling it up like we do as adults. And they're helping their emotions or superpowers by listening to them, understanding what the problem is, honouring their right. So I said to do you know, you can stay flat as long as you want today. But about 10.45, I've got a chat to Dale, so it wouldn't be very helpful. So would you mind just taking a nap? And we're cool.
0: Love it. Take a nap. But it is that is you do you just wake up some days just going, oh, and it is going. Like sometimes I try and do happy things, but it doesn't really work. It is, it's unpicking it, and it's the same. I suppose it's with a child; they don't have all that ability to verbalise and things like that. Actually, I'm bringing that because of this. But I think even as adults, we're still in that zone. Is I might have all the language, but I don't necessarily know what's triggering it.
1: But the thing is, and you just hit it on the head, so you feel a bit flat today, I'm going to do happy things. That's a behaviour. So you're trying to get rid of one emotion by doing happy things. Well, it might work. You know, you can distract yourself for a little while, but that's really disrespectful to the emotion that you woke up with. It's made you feel that for a reason, and it would be like ignoring a child. No, let's go and do happy things, you're not sad today. That might work for a little while, but they're still going to be sad. What's easier is just to accept it, honour it, and say, okay, what's making you feel like that? And the key is what's making you feel like this? Not me, you. Separate it. Because that point of separation allows you to be the adult, the big brother, the big sister, to this tiny little emotion and say, okay, mate, what's wrong? How can we help? And it allows it to verbalise, and then you can help it.
0: And that is exactly what you said about anger. It's not about doing this, this, and this to divert or stop the anger or or stop that behavior. It is going back behind it and going, okay, so yes, I'm seeing this. I can't just tell him to stop throwing things or get him to do this. I really need to look at what is it that's causing him to feel he needs to be angry. What is it? Where is the anger coming from? That's what I've got to work with. I can't just go, you're throwing things. We've got to stop that. You have to go back and look at it. You can't just do happy it's exactly the same
1: but well, you can but you'll be there forever and i think one of the reasons that we're as successful as we are with helping kids teens and adults with behavioral issues habits fears phobias is we don't try and change their behavior i remember before i got into therapy i went to a therapist to stop smoking they were a behavioral therapist, and session one is about 200 quid a session but i thought smoking's costing me a lot i'm up for this right And it was, which hand do you smoke with? And I said, my left hand. And they went, "Uh aha, use your right hand. change the behaviour. Off I went. Back next week, another 200 quid. How's it going? I'm still smoking. Do you use matches or a lighter? A lighter, use matches. Behaviour change again. Off I went. Next week, came back, 600 quid now, right? How's it going? I'm still smoking. Where do you smoke? Outside. Nobody in the house smokes. Outside the back door. Walk up to the top of the garden and smoke up there using the other hand and matching. Do you know, this went on for a bit, but I have to say it did change my smoking pattern. I think I got up to about 800 quid before it did, but what it changed it from was 10 a day to 20 a day. Because they were trying to change my behaviour, the question that needed to be asked was, okay, smoking's a part of you. It thinks it's doing something for you. Believe it or not, all behaviour serves a purpose and it has a positive intent initially. Hard to swallow if you're talking about someone that self-harms or is doing something destructive. But initially, it had a positive intent. Self-harming. Not great on any level. But initially, it might have been the only thing that took the pain away, mentally or emotionally. And then it gets out of hand because that doesn't work anymore, so you have to do it bigger and larger. And smoking's the same. Why would I purposely do something that's going to kill me? There'll be a reason. Was it I needed to fit in? Was it I needed to belong? I needed a tribe? Was it it gave me the scoops just to get away and think clearly for five minutes? If you just tried changing my behaviour without recognising the emotional driver, it ain't going to happen. The question was, what emotion is making you smoke, Ali? And I had to think about it, and I was like, because I can. Yeah, but what is that? Son it for me. What is that? I matter. Oh, that's interesting. So... The emotion, I matter, is getting you to do something that will kill you. And when you look at it that way, you're like, it did work, but now actually it's gone the other way.
0: Lots of people I knew, so my sisters smoked, all of their friends smoked, hung around, and they all assumed I smoked and I didn't. But most of them said they started smoking as a way to make friends. Oh, In the 80s, 90s, yeah. you could always say, got a light? Yeah, you would walk out somewhere and it would start a conversation. You didn't have to break the ice. The cigarette was the icebreaker. It was a tribe within
1: a tribe, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was a way of me talking to a stranger that I liked or was actually, I'm here, you're here, rather than stand on my own. I'd rather talk to someone. Unless I had a cigarette, it would feel really awkward to start a conversation. But if I had a cigarette and no lighter, I can always start a conversation, even if I had a lighter in my other pocket.
1: Behaviour serves a purpose.
0: And it is. you could really see it back then as people would just disappear off. And and if you weren't smoking, you were kind of excluded.
1: And you weren't cool, Yeah, which is emotional again. How can I be cool because that matters, that I fit in, that my self-worth is valued and all of that. It's all emotional, but you do something behavioral. And if you try to deal with a behavior by changing it, mate, you'd be really, really lucky if it works out or certainly if it lasts any period of time. Get to the emotion behind what's driving that behavior in the first place, and then you can set people free.
0: Very, very interesting. I always have to come away from these podcasts and have a half-hour sit down and have a think about my life.
1: <laughs> oh, that's just me. I'm overpowering to be you.
0: But it, it, I was saying, most of the time I generally think of, when I have these comments, I'm thinking of negative which I find really interesting. I'm not thinking of the happy thoughts, which led me to do something that gave me the confidence to go do something new, which changed my life. It's interesting when I have these comments, I get drawn to the negative emotions that drove me and I completely forget. And I suppose most of us do that. We forget about, actually I had that day. I felt good. I went and did this and that was actually brilliant. And I did this and it led to this and that was great. And you just, actually that was driven by emotions, Mm -hmm. but we forget.
1: But we don't forget we delete. And, again, it's a previous podcast we did about deletions and the brain not liking gaps. I say I'm having a a disagreement with my father at the moment, okay, and he's being very unreasonable. I have every right to feel angry. I have every right to feel disrespected, undervalued, all of those things. Now I can be very grown up and go... He's just being a bit of a prat. I'm not going to get through to him, move on. The only person I'm upsetting here is me. I'm upsetting me more than he is because I'm allowing myself to feel that. That's very grown up, isn't it? But I have every damn right to feel that. And not only that, you feel almost aggrieved if you're not allowed to feel all those emotions because somebody else has had an effect on you. Yeah. So you're allowed to feel all of those things. I'm allowed to stay angry with my dad for all those reasons. But what I need to recognise, which is where we're back to the how long do you let you play on the PlayStation before you say, no, time's up, move on, is I'm letting this hurt me. If his intent on being so cruel is to hurt me, I've just given him the gun because I've let it in. That's a huge one, isn't it? And it's a hard one to swallow. But seriously, nobody can make you think or feel anything you're not allowing yourself to. So if you are allowing yourself to feel something, ask yourself, do I want to feel this right now? Yes, I do. I want to be angry for a while. Great. How long are you going to let that go on for? Do you still want to feel like Yes. Getting bored with angry? Yes, but it's his fault. No, it's not. You're now allowing it. It's hard to swallow, but it's the truth. We, we were doing this interview the other day, and there were some very learned people on the panel. They shouldn't let me on. And they were going on about what's going on with teenagers at the moment, and suicide rates for the roof, and they're blaming COVID and social media and, rock stars, you name it, they were blaming it and that all this needed to change before we could help our teenagers. And I just sat there <laughs> I thought, I'm going to blow in a minute. And I did. <laughs> I went, can I, can I, can I, please? <laughs> and the, the interviewer said, Ali, what do you think? Is it social media? I mean, it's all that stuff, but we're never going to change it. So we can spend a lot of time chatting about it and trying to change it and achieving nothing because the world is the world it is. I wish it wasn't, wish we could change it. Or... We could deal with the root. The only reason this is bothering any of us and affecting our teenagers is because emotionally they're allowing it to, because they're gangs, drugs, self-worth, belonging. If we taught them emotional resilience, not just how to spell the damn word, but what it means, then they would not be affected by anything like this or nowhere near to the level that they are. So I get cropped.
0: I'm not sure I can spell resilience without seeing it in word. I I'm can't not even going spell. to try. Honestly, Emotional, I, I can do. I, I can do, but resilience.
1: And no, I'm, I'm a big advocate for teachers. I think they're blinding. They're there to teach, not be therapists. But you go into a school, and up on the wall as you go in, in the, like the entrance, the self worth, self belief, empathy, resilience. That's a biggie, right? <laughs> and the kids can all spell it. I can't. Dyslexic. Do they know what it means? No. I said to these kids, Finish this sentence off for me. If at first you don't succeed, go
0: on, Dad. If first, you don't try and try again. Yeah. Is the thing.
1: Yeah, you're setting them up to fail, aren't you? Yep. If at first you don't succeed, try again, try again, try again, try again. You're rubbish, aren't you? What about this one? Can I live my life by it and I've got kids doing it now. If at first you don't succeed, try again. Because otherwise, you know, you're not really giving it a good shot. Maybe try again. But then do something
0: different who knew one i've always uh, and um one i it's from my child i remember hearing this in my childhood the world shouldn't be this way or this shouldn't have happened or well i could have done this and i'm always like should and could is just worthless words anything which said after that is worthless it's what it is or isn't and it's what you have done or haven't done
1: Everything that you've done, when you look back, whether you're proud of it or you're not so proud of it, you can spend a lot of time looking back. What a waste. That means you're not in the moment and you waste so much time by looking back on mistakes the younger you made. Were they mistakes? No. They were the best you could do at the time with the information you had. You didn't set out to cause the mayhem you did or whatever you did. You had no other choices because you were limited in your choices the thing to do is look back and go that wasn't great and I wish I'd been around for my younger self I would have said what you're about to do I know you're going to do it anyway you know that's not great but you can't you can't change the past and the problem with the past is we carry it into our future and it's like oh well I had a hard time at school I'm always going to have a hard time or oh my dad was horrible so you know I've got the sting now with attachment you can do that and you're entitled to let yourself feel anything you want, or you can take hold of it and responsibility of it. You can't change the past. And the only thing that the past is doing now is affecting your future because you attached an emotion to it. Your dad's yep. still not hurting you because you're a little boy who can't say boo to a goose anymore. You can stand up and make your own choices, but you're hanging on to, well, he's my dad and he's never respected me in his moment, or I am in my scenario, or you can go, yeah. I kind of had to make those decisions back then because I knew nothing else.
0: I do now. I would love to almost like be able to go back and watch my life again, not to change anything, but my maybe see is, did I was there any of the information? Is there anything I can see now that I've actually gone? No, right. Okay. Actually. Yeah. No, but I wouldn't change anything. I would just, because some of those t- decisions I made were cringeworthy and I would love to watch myself do it. Oh, and you be going, you idiot. No,
1: no, no, no. Don't be so horrible to little Dale. I
0: know, because there are loads of good bits as well.
1: Yeah, but at the time, little Dale didn't get up and go, right, what shall I do today? I'm going to do something really cringeworthy. What he did was what he needed to do to get through the day or a situation. And or he completely misread
0: situations.
1: Yeah, but you're never, you're never going to be able to do that because every time you look at something from your past, you're looking at it through your adult eyes. Yeah. You can never know what it was like to be Little Dale because you can never think that way again. You're not I'd love to you can never be him.
0: I'd love to be able to sort of have that feeling but and also have that pausing and go, now let's look at it from an adult and go, you idiot. But also just those, because when we look back now at some of those cringeworthy moments that you might have died afterwards of embarrassment, I kind of look back now and go, that was so funny. Because most of the time, I've dealt with a lot of them. Not everything I've dealt with, but some of the things in my teenage years, I've dealt with those emotions now, and I would kind of like to go back and watch it, but not on an emotional level. Just sit there and go, yeah, you missed everything. You shouldn't have done that, but you just weren't aware. But, I, yeah, but that's the whole thing. I, I don't believe yeah.
1: anybody purposely gets it wrong. I think no. sometimes they purposely cause trouble for a reaction. We're back to emotions. What's that about? They wouldn't have caused that trouble for that emotional reaction if there wasn't something missing. So I, I, no matter what, I think, I'm always like, okay, what's that about? Because there'll be a reason that you reacted or behaved in the way you did and it was emotionally driven. And your emotional age at that time is responsible for the decisions you made. So looking back is no good because you're now emotionally a lot older and wiser, hopefully.
0: So, <laughs> can we can we just touch on that emotional age because that's the thing which i think a lot of people don't get is lots of people think if you're 16 you're emotionally 16
1: no and and, and i yeah no i get what you're saying i often say you know and people say how young a child can you work with Ali and i said it depends on the child so we work with six-year-olds but there are some six-year-olds no they're not ready to it's not even emotionally ready, it's it's. do they have the cognitive ability to understand what we're trying to put across, no matter how we, we do put it across, how we make it accessible. But I'll have the same with people in their 30s, and I'm thinking I had a seven-year-old in here earlier that is more emotionally aware than you are. Is that an insult? No, it's not. It's the way it is. What's the what, Why is this person holding back emotionally at 30 and the seven-year-old's not? Nature and nurture again, and being able to feel what you're feeling and honour it.
0: I think is that I, yeah. I remember being called quite being called immature in lots of school reports, and I'm sort of going, "You're calling me, but you're not helping me be more mature. What does more mature mean? What
1: that even mean? <laughs> yeah, what does immature mean? And again, that's that's, a, that's another whole blooming podcast. But it, in every scenario, but if we think about schools, there has to be, and I get it a level. So by this age you're doing this, by this age you're doing this, by this age. And I get that because how else do they create curriculums for kids unless you're all in one-to-one with a private tutor? But that causes problems because people fall through the gap. What if you're a late developer cognitively? What if you don't start reading at age whatever and it takes you a bit longer? It doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you are learning differently and at a different pace. And those guys then are like, oh, Lord, you know, everyone else can read and I can't yet. I mean, I, I didn't know I was dyslexic. like everyone else can read and I can't. What I used to do was look at the pictures in the book and make the story up. Nine times out of ten, I wasn't far off and I got away with it. But then you yeah, have the problems with the parents because it's it's that belonging again and getting it right and being good enough. And it's like, well, the kids across the road are already doing this, this and this, and mine's not yet. There must be something wrong. No, there's nothing wrong. He's, yours. he's unique and he's beautiful. He might need a little bit more assistance, You can put that in place, but there's nothing wrong. It's just who he is. Yes,
0: definitely. And we're going to end on that, I think, because it is. Everyone is unique. You can't say this is the mold that everyone has to fit in. You can't say you're 14, you can do this. (laughs) Everyone should be unique. You shouldn't need a label. You should sit there and go, well, I've expected you to do this. I've assumed you can do this, but you can't. And I now need to work with that rather than just treat you bad for not being able to do that. That's how we should be doing
1: you can't um, means a lot of things in my world it's if at first you don't succeed, try try something different. I don't think there's no such thing as can't. I think everybody can, but they can't if you're not explaining it in a way that works for them uniquely yeah and it's recognizing that uniqueness and recognizing that we have we have we work with lots of same kids as you know, nonverbal kids or selective mutism, and the parents say, well, how are you going to work with them? It's not verbal. Verbal is only 7% of how we communicate. So if you're considering that your kid's not communicating because he's not verbal, you're missing 93%. But again, that's Don't Frighten Horses, isn't it? Everyone else is speaking, so there's something wrong. They are, but they're not verbal. They're doing it in their own way.
0: Yeah, definitely. And it is is, you, you can give the same bit of news to 10 people and have 10 different reactions all based on their own unique experiences, all based on their emotional state at that moment for the, there are so many variables and we've got to remember that, yeah, we're just not all the same and we are all going to react differently. And that's just the way the world is. And if we were all the same, I know Ali would say exactly the same. If we were all the same, the world would be very, very boring and we don't want a boring world. So Thank you for coming on the show today, Ali. It's been really, really good. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, we will be putting links to things we have mentioned and use, that you'll find useful in the show notes. I'll also be sharing Ali's contact details and you'll find the show notes on our website, which is thesencast.com. Thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed, click on that subscribe button. You can do it on our website. You can find all the different places you can listen to. Wherever you listen to the podcast, click on that subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at thesendcast.com. And if you are struggling to show progress, if your assessment process is overcomplicated, takes too long, or you just want to see what is available, have a look at the B Squared website or book a free online meeting so we can take you through our products. We have a range of assessment products to help all schools show small steps of progress for pupils with SEND. And if you're a school in England still confused by the engagement model, not sure about the pre-key stage standards or anything else around assessment, get in contact. You can also find out about our online training courses, our conferences, read our blog, or watch our webinars. It is all on the B-Squared website. You'll find a link to the website and to book a meeting with me in the show notes. So thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. Bye, everyone.